John Callanan, you're an Irish Jesuit and you are an author. You've written about Tony DeMello, the Indian Jesuit, very well known. You took a great interest in him yourself and I want to talk to you about him today, where we are today. And just for people who don't know Tony DeMello, because he was a very influential figure as a Jesuit in terms of his writings and his own take on spirituality. Tell us a wee bit about him. So, first of all, he was Indian. He was a Jesuit, as you say. He grew up near Pune. He had that kind of Eastern background. That's the first sort of stream, you might say, in his makeup. Second of all, he was sent to study classical spirituality in Rome. So he studied particularly St. Ignatius of Loyola and St. Teresa of Avila. So he had that kind of very strong foothold, you might say, in mainline spirituality. There was a second stream. And then, a little later in his studies, he was sent to Chicago to study psychology. And so you'll see that psychological bit coming through in the prayer style. He came to Ireland three times, and the first time he was down in Tullabeg. So he was giving a retreat, an eight-day retreat, to about 60 Jesuits, the provincial was Father Cecil McGarry and he invited him over to give this retreat and he invited the older people in the province, uh, the more experienced citizens. So there were about six places left and very kindly the provincial said to any of us particularly in training it was first come, first served so I didn't know anything about Anthony Mello. We went down to Tullabeg and on that very first evening he was an absolute knockout. I was in the noviceship at the time We'd been trained in a very classical style of Ignatian spirituality, which is fairly focused, not too flowery, not too imaginative. You took a gospel, and that's the way we were trained. We had a guide, a second year, a very experienced type of individual, who'd take you each evening, and they would go through tomorrow's gospel, whatever it might be, making points. And that's what you were going to be praying tomorrow morning in your meditation. So, with Antony de Mello, when we arrived there, he came before the assembled multitude on the first evening, I can still remember, with huge vividness. And he gave just a little bit of his own background on those three kind of strands. And then he asked, would we like to do one of the meditations? Actually, he probably said, we'll do a meditation. I doubt if he asked us at all. (laughs) And the meditation he chose was the pool at Silo. If you remember that meditation, you have a famous pool. It's close to Jerusalem. It's like a swimming pool. And people would come in there every day. It was a bit like Lourdes and Sephora's. It had a reputation that if you came and you were lucky enough, an angel would come and wave a wand or something over this waters. And as soon as they moved, the first person in was cured. That was the gospel story. So on this particular day, a man who'd been paralysed from birth, and he was 38 years old now, he had come to the pool, and he was sitting way up at the back, and people were kind of buzzing and chatting, etc. And then suddenly a quietness came over everybody because a figure had appeared in one of the archways, and obviously... He was fairly well known. As soon as they recognised him, a buzz went around. Maybe something is going to happen today. He looked around and way up the back, 
he saw this paralyzed man lying on a stretcher. And he went over to him and he said to the man, do you want to be cured? And so he said to us, do you think the man wanted to be cured? Well, I'd never heard such an idiotic question in my <laughs> life, to tell you the truth. So it was obvious that he wanted to be cured. But nobody said anything very much. I shut up my hand and I said, of course, you idiot. Of course he wanted to be cured. Wasn't he going there for 38 years? And Anthony DeMello said to me, if you think that, you don't know very much about human beings. Not the socks off. <laughs> and he was right. He said to me, how do you think the man got there? I don't know how the hell he got there. So it doesn't say anything in the story. No, he said. So he had some number of friends. He probably had four fellows who used to come along every morning. He was in his house with his missus, this poor fella in bed because he was paralysed. So the lads would bring a stretcher along. They'd pile him onto the stretcher. His missus would have made some sandwiches and coffee or something in a flask. They'd put that beside him and they'd haul him to this place. And when they were going to put him down, the man would know how hot it was. And he'd say, no, I don't like this place very much. There's a nice couple of trees up there and it's nice, sort of shady. And so they'd bring him up there. And they'd leave him, they'd go off about their work or whatever, and so he'd sit there. We could be sitting there still to this day, <laughs> and he'd never have got the cure, because the first person into the water was the one who was cured. That's right. And so he had no chance. He was back about 25 steps up there. How was he ever going to be the first person in? It was impossible. And when Jesus said to the guy, do you want to be cured? Tony DeMello said, the guy began to think, what will a cure cost me? If I get the cure now, I'm going to wrap up my bed. I'm going to walk home. I'm going to be delighted with myself. I'll walk in the door and my missus will drop completely out of shock. And then she said to me, what happened? I got cured. Fantastic. Because I've been here for 30 years. Looking after Looking you. after you. Making the bed. Making, making the, the meals. Coffee, making, making the, the coffee, sandwiches. Ev everything. Now, tomorrow morning, you're going to get up early. Because this is the luckiest day in your life. And the luckiest day in my life as well, she'd say. You're going to make the breakfast. I'm going to be staying in the bed tomorrow. And you're going to go down to the labour exchange. <laughs> and you're going to look there solidly. And hopefully after a number of weeks, you'll manage to get something or other. And the guy said to himself, oh my God. On second thoughts, uh, I don't think I'll take the cure after all. Now that's the psychological element and it knocked me completely sideways. It was so exciting. He was a fantastically exciting speaker, I thought. It poured out of him. He sat on the table for an hour without a single note. He was fantastic, absolutely. And that's why I was so enamoured with him, really. Found him so tremendously refreshing. And found prayer style, he advocated, extremely life-giving. Because it's always very relevant. It hooks into something that's important to you. And right? that's because of the imagination. Is it because he asks you to engage in yourself? DeMello would say, God speaks to us. That's very strong in a nation spirituality. God speaks to us. So whenever I'm speaking at all, that's almost like my headline script. God speaks to us. My general orientation is always to say yes. Of course, it terrifies me. I say, oh my God, what am I going to say? Oh, this is dreadful. And I don't have the time quite often in my present job to really think out carefully. However, once I've been asked, I'm in a different mode. My antennae are out in a different way than they usually are. My eyes are open 
and hopefully my ears are as well, I'm looking for concrete examples of when Jesus, when you might have been speaking, Lord, to me in some way or other. So I'm going to tell you. On Tuesday morning, we were saying the Mass as usual, and the Gospel that day was Jesus speaking about a widow at name. Her only child, a son, he died, and so he was at a funeral. And everyone was wailing and weeping, and the poor woman herself had just lost her only child, so it was a desperately sad scene. And Jesus came upon it, and his heart was touched. Normally, in the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus only responds when he's asked. He saw the poor woman, he saw the wailing and the weeping, and how sad it was. And he said to the body on the stretcher, on the bier, get up and the dead man did get up and he gave it back to his mother and so I was speaking to the people that morning about God sending messengers or messages into the world for example Our Lady Gabriel comes and gives a message from God or again the Archangel Raphael comes to Tobit and gives a message and says I've been sent to give you a message Mm. or Jesus himself was sent But on this particular day, the way the message was delivered to the people was through God's actions. But it's exactly, precisely the way that I find DeMello's prayer so helpful, his style of prayer so helpful. Classical Ignatian spirituality, the novitiate, we did it. We were well trained. We had a very good teacher, but I wouldn't say it lit a fire under me. It still is with DeMello, by the way. But, but it's a different kind of it's hard a different, work. It is. And on this particular day, we had a meeting. You probably know about clustering and mm. gathering of parishes. So our parishes, four of them, were gathering together that evening with the pastoral councils of the four parishes. And we were going to be looking ahead to see how best we could proceed with regard to arranging masses, etc., of confirmation. So we had the session. And at the end, the four priests from the four parishes stand at the back of the church. There are about 60, 70 parents. We need about 25 to 30 of those to help out with the programme. And so you just, when they're coming down, grab them and try and encourage them. And one lady came over and she said, do you remember me? And she said, you came to my house eight years ago, when you were just starting in the parish. Oh, be God, I do remember. I did. You have a young lad, that's right, and he was dying. He was three years of age, terrible disease, which had a very bad prognosis. And so it was heartbreaking. And we tried to pray that evening, and we tried to do a blessing, etc. And she said to me, there he is over there. He's 12 now. He's making his confirmation this year, right? So I was ecstatic. It was wonderful. And... I said, oh, this is really brilliant. There's our particular, the person from our parish, she's trying to seek whom she can get. And so you might like, oh, I'm too busy, this lady said to me. I'm too busy. I'm really, I'd love to, but I'm too busy. And I said to her, the devil came into me. <laughs> and I liked her very well. And I said to her, Do you know, that's the very answer that the lepers gave when Jesus did the cure. And he cured 10. Do you remember the story? Well, he cured 10. And afterwards, one of them came back and said, I really want to throw myself down before you to thank you profusely. You were so wonderful. You did such a brilliant thing for us. And Jesus said, where are the other nine? And the woman's eyes, I could see them changing. It was wonderful. 
I could see her remembering the occasion nine years ago. I'm suspecting, I'm putting my own gloss on this, that she was thinking how there were two paths that day. One path was going to lead to a terrible conclusion very quickly, within a few months, and the poor lad was going to die. The other path was the one we were praying for, which is the one that we got. In my imagination, and I think probably in reality, she said, oh my God, such a gift I was given that day. I think I'll volunteer, she said. (laughs) And when I went away afterwards, I thought, Lord, I think you were speaking to us both this evening. That's what I mean by the middle. Even that gospel on Tuesday wouldn't have been an easy one particularly to do as a meditation. But you suddenly see Jesus was sent as a messenger in some way. Has God stopped sending messengers? No, I don't think he has. I just think that we're mostly asleep. Yeah. And that's what which Demelo, is a big DeMello theme. Which is a huge DeMello theme. DeMello used to say, we're about 2% awake. And the people in the groups always used to say, you mean 22%? No, he said, I mean 2%. And it's very much in the culture today. It's one of the things that people are thirsting after. Since COVID particularly, you can spot some, There's a change, I think, in the culture. And people are, they're using Zoom and things, but... They're sort of losing contact a little bit with each other, I think. And the is very good in that as well. Yeah. His prayer style is, it lights a fire yeah. on a good day. Okay. And it touches into something going on within you, yeah. if you're lucky. Yeah. Within me, anyway. Yeah. That's a very good way of putting it. What I noticed in his books, and he's written many of them, He's continually trying to bring you into the story, but also shock you a little bit so that you jolt. And he makes you do the work, as you said, in those lovely little cones and stories that he tells. He shakes up your traditional view of reality, and then you have to think. And I think that's what he's talking about, becoming awake, because he says most of us live lives and we die. He says we get married in our sleep, we die in our sleep, we never wake. That's right. It's one of his big themes, really, staying awake or trying to become awake. He's written about 12 books off the top of my head, and there are three different varieties. And this would be useful if there was anyone trying to get a flavour. Mm. Somebody came along, a terrific couple, a couple of months ago, and they said, would you tell us something about Tomello Style? So the first types really are books about how to pray. They're like a Latin primer, if you know what I mean. They're the nuts and bolts of how to pray. And they're terrific. The first one sold 25 million copies. The second type, they're books of little fables, little stories, Indian-style stories, but with a moral or a kick in them, trying to gear you toward things. And the last one's fantasy exercises. So DeMello, he was working with groups. He'd either do an Indian-style one, trying to get into the present moment. What's going on? Dumela would start with the Indian exercises. So he'd get you to quieten down. The story he used to tell was, in India, they mentioned that muddy waters, if they're let become still, begin to clear. And we're like muddy waters. We move so quickly. There's so much going on. You can see by even when the way I talk, there's... 40 things going on. I'm thinking about today, loads of different things. So they're all kind of churned up. We used to do this when we were kids. We used to go to try and find pink and we'd put the 
jam jar, dip it into the water, put it on the side, wait until there was some excitement. The little fish began to come. Then we'd whip up the jar of water, but it would be full of mud from the dredge from the bottom. Had it got any live fish in it, I don't know, I can't see. So we'd bring it home, and of course we'd be shaking it all the way home. This is my family's place, my brothers and sisters. And we'd put it up in the mantelpiece. It'd be there all night. And tomorrow morning, the mud had all filtered down to about an inch, half an inch at the bottom. And the rest would be relatively clear. And now you can see what life is there, what's important. And that's what DeMello would try and do at the beginning. He'd use either the stillness, you're trying to quieten yourself. He'd use the breathing exercises, breathing quietly in through your nose, imagining in your imagination that the room is filled with a kind of a coloured air and you're breathing in this peaceful air. It might be, mine is usually yellow, Mm -hmm. but it might be pink or whatever it Mm -hmm. might be. And as you're breathing in, you can visualise the coloured air coming right through your nostrils, down to the back of your throat, breathing still in, it's coming down to your shoulders, it's coming down to your chest area, it's circling around your backbone. In your imagination, Mm -hmm. you can visualise it, and it's coming right down to your belly button, gently, quietly. And if you do that for a few minutes, as you're breathing quietly in, You're making a prayer. I pray, Lord, asking you to give me the stillness, the calmness, the peace of mind that I need for this few minutes that I'm going to be with you. And as I breathe out, I make the second half of my prayer. That if there's anything that's been disturbing me over the last while, maybe my mother was sick or... I have to do an exam or there's a difficult meeting I have to attend or I have to write a chapter of a book or something. I ask you, Lord, to give me a break and to allow me to put anything that might be bothering me to one side, at least for these few minutes. And this might take you, because I used to do this, say, in a community school in a tough area, They were brilliant, the kids. You could get that stillness and quietness in three minutes. You'd have 40 minutes for the session. It could take you 30 minutes to get the quietness because they were very buzzed up kids. And the chief tactic was to give you a dig in the side and say, what's the buzz, sir? What's the buzz? But you're trying to quieten yourself. He often used fantasy exercises or he worked on a gospel meditation. He was hoping or expecting, I think, that if there was anything going on inside you there, maybe God wants to speak, that whatever God wanted to say would in some way float to the surface. Right. One year I was going to do some studies. I was in a school at the time. I was a chaplain in the school. The school allowed to take a year out. The school said, we'll give you half time because I was supposed to be doing an MA in movie script writing. And so they were extremely decent to do that for me. And the provincial was even decent to say, yeah, yeah, why not? And my provincial was a very good friend of mine. He was a lovely guy. And he phoned me up and he said, I'm really sorry, but I'd like you to go to Ballymont because I'm stuck. Would you mind? And to be honest with you, I said to him, I wasn't thinking in the slightest way about moving. And if you're straight up and honest, I don't want to go. So will you do make a bargain with me? If you go away for a week and listen very carefully to what I've just said, 
I'll go away for the week and I'll think also. And the two of us will come back in a week's time. And if you continue to say you're still asking me, then the answer is going to be yes. So we came back in a week's time and he said, I'm sorry, but I still have to ask you. I couldn't get anyone. So off I went to Ballymun. It was a nightmare. I had the first month. Every evening I'd come back from the university and I'd have a bag full of work and the doorbell would go. But I'd have to go down and there'd be a fellow saying, oh, be, oh I'm sorry now, uh, I, I got the wrong bus home, etc. I'm terribly sorry, I'm very busy at the moment. Oh, it won't take you any time. If you just you have a car, you know, would you just take me across? For half an hour I'd argue with him. I'm too busy, really. I have to get the work done for tomorrow. I'll be fired out of the course. And, but he'd continue. And so finally, cursing and shouting, I'd, I'd say to him, oh, I'll get in and I'd bring him across. So it was a nightmare. That went on for about six weeks. I was getting sick. And finally, it came to midterm break. I went over to the Ireland's. I was completely on my own in the house. Wonderful for an eight-day retreat. And the first three days, I was churning, and my stomach was churning, etc. I think the fourth day, things began to settle a little tiny bit. And on the fifth day, one line started to come up. And the one line was, you're sick. The next day, this is the muddy water beginning to still. A second line began to come to the surface. Something needs to change. The next day, one line again. The something is you. (laughs) And then I realised... The situation, the course is not going to get any easier. The amount of work is not going to get any less. The people knocking on the door are not going to change. I'm not going to change. This is going to be a disaster of a year. And then suddenly something came into my head. So the university has a study room. Why don't I stay out there till 10 o'clock at night? Come back. The lads will be back at that stage of proceedings. People will stop knocking at the door at that stage. Then on, I stayed. So I had four hours peace and quiet in the university. That's what I mean by the DeMello style thing. What's important comes to the surface. In 12-step spirituality, you know, that's a kind of space that they would talk about needing. Precisely. That's what they're always looking for. They believe there's a higher power, but they also believe that in some way there's a reason behind the problem with drink. Mm. And that's what DeMello would know. Yes. When he told the stories, he'd speak about working with novices or mm. teaching people or whatever. He'd always know there's something behind, if you know any addiction centres, there's one down in Tipperary. Yeah. They used DeMello a great deal. That's the right. Rosminis in a retreat house down yes. there were great for DeMello yeah. stuff. They yeah. always wanted a couple of DeMello weekends because mm. they had a lot of people coming yeah. who were part of AA. And so they knew that that reflective the psychological side would start to come to the surface, just like in the example I gave you. Exactly. And come, as DeMello would say, but from a spiritual place, even though it was psychological. Oh, absolutely. It was spirit-led. Yes. People today would be less aware of that or less Mm. tuned in to that Mm. spiritual element, or they wouldn't want to concede that or mention that. God is missing, but not missed is a favourite phrase of recently. So... Like in the culture today, God has a hard time yeah. trying to get, to get through <laughs> with all of us. But yeah. as you say, that Tony DeMello had that psychological element. So even that, it was still rooted and grounded in something of the person. Because he also had those classical spiritual people, like Teresa of Avila. If you read her stuff with her own sisters in the group, there were problems. And she'd talk about some of the sisters. She's a very difficult one. She's completely screwed up, but she'd know that God might speak to us in prayer. Ignatius the same. It's a big theme in his, as I say. 
God speaks to us. Are we listening or are we providing the opportunities where your message, Lord, is able to get true to us? I know I'm not myself. When you were talking about DeMello, and I know you believe there is the Ignatian influences there. It fits oh, in very well. It's yeah. Huge. And Ignatius, didn't he ask people to do the imaginative contemplation of setting themselves in the gospel? Or did that come out of DeMello? Well, it certainly was heavily influenced in DeMello. If you take the spiritual exercises, you'll see, yeah, you're right, you're absolutely right. He'll do the nativity, say, and he'll have you in the cave, or he'll have Our Lady there holding the child, or he'll have Simeon down at the temple looking, peering out into the darkness and seeing a woman coming down on a donkey with her child in her arms, like I'm seeing it now as I'm taking it to you, and... Simeon gets up from his seat, throws out his arms and says, Now, Lord, you can let me go because the promise you made to me that I wouldn't die without seeing the Christ child is being revealed this very minute. So that's the kind of scene that Ignatius sets. In true DeMello style, he'd be very impressed, I think, to leave the people to go and do the thinking now for themselves. <laughs> 